So we're in this series called Truth Is. We're in the second week. Um, got a lot of uh, conversation going after the first week. If you haven't heard the first week, you can listen online. It's up there. Um, there's a, a lot of things, uh, a lot of things in people's hearts when it comes to this subject. And um, if if you're not familiar with uh, with New Life, you may not know that one of the things that we are really good around here about is grace. Um, we're getting better about that. If you if you're not familiar with with New Life, you're not familiar with our our people. Um, most of us in this place have been in a bad place in our lives at one point or another. We've been addicted. We've been uh, far from God in one way or the other. And so uh, I, it's been a wonderful place for me to be as a, as a divorced man who's messed up a marriage, um, a man who has uh, had my own faults, things that uh, most preachers wouldn't want to talk about. I can say openly here because um, we're a place of grace. And it's allowed us to be a place where grace kind of permeates everything. And it's invited a whole bunch of people into the place that, that have never really come to church before or have never listened. We've got a, enough people listening online now that I had to upgrade our service for our streaming service because we have so many people listening online that I think a lot of them feel and understand the grace that comes. Even without coming here, they feel grace in our midst. And I am proud of that. And I, 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 I feel like God is honored by that. But recently there has been a, a, this, un, this feeling in me after seeing friends and seeing lots of people come to Jesus and then kind of go back to the way they've lived, um, that God is calling for a second part of new life. He's calling for another movement. Just like we made a move to show grace, we keep that up 100% of the time, but he is calling for us to make a movement towards truth, towards being better at who he's called us to be. And so this Truth Is uh, truth is series is not something that's real easy for me, honestly. It's so easy for me to get up and say, grace, 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 God loves you how you are. That is the best thing I can say as a preacher. It is the most fun. It gets me excited in the morning. It's hard for me to get up and say, God loves you just how you are, but you got to change. <laughs> he loves you just the way you are, but every day needs to be better than the day before when it comes to the things in our life. Um, Jesus had this weird ability Every time he made impact with somebody, every time he talked to somebody, every time he, he was face-to-face with somebody, he had this weird ability to have 100% grace and 100% truth at the same time. It, it, we like to think of him as one or the other. Either you, you say to somebody, either I accept you and you're okay the way you are, or you say, you need to change, you're a bad boy. And, and we do that with our kids, right? You, you, you grew up in a house, all of us grew up in a house with 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 somebody who probably gave you rules whether it was a parent a grandparent somebody who gave you rules and the truth is they they most likely were either grace like mom in my house was always grace although she was good at the truth too but there was always this initial thought of grace and then maybe in your house mr mr truth often dad just lays down the smack over and over and over and you get this kind of a wave of well mom's here now but when dad gets home or maybe the opposite or or however it is in your life we've all experienced this grace and truth in different ways and if we're not careful we see them as opposites if we're not careful as humans we see them as well we'll give a little bit of grace and then we'll hit them with the truth and and those that is not the way god talks about truth and it's not the way jesus dealt with truth he would run into somebody and he would cry over them he would cry over their brokenness and their hurt He would cry with them, and he would love them. And in a lot of times, he would say, when everyone else was around, uh, everyone else around was trying to condemn them and point fingers and throw rocks, literally, at people, Jesus would say, no, grace first. And then when grace had been felt, and that moment had been captured, and God had been honored, Jesus would say, now you have 
to change. You have to make a, a new move in your life. And one of the things that John, who was one of the closest people to Jesus, um, this man named John who lived, actually lived a lot longer than most of the other disciples of Jesus, he would, he would live so long, and I, not because people didn't try to kill him, but uh, he had been tried to kill a couple times, dipped in tar, tortured a few times. And as he got older, somebody finally said, man, you've got to write some of this stuff down that Jesus did and said, because this is huge and we're going to forget it. So he did, and he, as he wrote about Jesus, he wrote about Jesus as the Word. It's kind of cool. It's like this, God spoke and Jesus appeared. And when God spoke and Jesus appeared, it changed everything on earth forever. It's why you're sitting here today. And John says this, the Word, capital W, that's Jesus, became flesh. It's like he took on human form and he made his dwelling, or the original language sounds more like he camped out. (laughs) He camped here with us. And John said, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full, and now in English we say full of grace and truth, but at, at this point, it would have been more like 100% full of truth and 100% full of grace. And that had been hard for people to understand. Because the words that John uses here, he gets from the marketplace. And when you go to the marketplace, um, at this point in history, you, you, it's not like going to Target or Kroger, where you, know, you go in and you can check out and you do your own things and everything's prepackaged and barcodes bar and all those. You've got to go up to a, a, somebody at the market who has food, and uh, honestly, often it's grain or something that you would measure in a cup. And when you, you would dip your, your grain, uh, or the, the person who's selling it to you would dip the cup in the grain and would say, that'll be $2, or that'll be so many uh, denarii, or whatever it is that, at that point. And they would show it to you, and the idea is a truthful person, somebody you could trust as a marketer, as, as somebody at the market would give you a cup and it would like be heaping over full of grain and and when when the bible says that uh, god's love is 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 uh, it, it's like he pours it out and it, it pours over the edges that that's how that's the picture that god uses and, and people would have remembered the marketplace because if you were a crook you would like dip in the grain and when the person gave you your money you'd shovel out a little bit and then give it to them so there'd be a little gap well, when, when John said that Jesus is 100% full of both grace and truth, the people that read this would have gone, ha, that's funny. Because how can you be 100% full of both things? You're either 100% full of one thing or 100% full of the other. Jesus somehow found a way to be 100% full of both. Now, at home, um, in my house, I tend to be the one who who wants to lend towards grace to a certain point, and then all of a sudden, I, I'm into truth, you know? It's like grace, 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 and if you take advantage of it, truth, you right in the face, you know? And it happens as a dad, I get angry, and I use the truth as part of my anger at times. But Jesus never does that. He never speaks out of, out of anger. He never just, out of anger, just, I mean, even turning the tables over in the temple, there was this sense of the love that he has for the people that are trying to get into the temple. And there's always this grace and truth with Jesus. In fact, John even goes a little further when he talks about truth. Jesus was often followed by a whole lot of people, and, and you've heard this, you've heard me talk about this before, that Jesus was followed by people who wanted to kill him, and people who wanted to see the show, and people who wanted to change their life, and people who just heard that it was a good place to be, wherever Jesus was. In fact, it's not a, not a lot different than what's going on here at New Life. Some of you are here today or listening online because somebody has said to you, New Life is a place where you can change the way you live your life. And if you don't like what you're doing, God actually, we found him there, and he, he meets us, and we 
we change our lives together. And some of you have said, you know what, this is the last resort. I'm not even sure I believe this stuff. I'm just showing up because I need a last resort. And some of you have said, hey, it's a place where I don't have to be with my kids for a good hour or so. And just drop them off back there. And you know what the amazing thing was? Jesus never stood on a hill and said, hey, you, yeah, you the one that's here just to get your kids taken care of for a day. You're out. He never said that. He never one time questioned somebody's motives about why they were, he just, you know what, if you want to kill me, come listen. Hey, if you want to try to trap me, come listen. Hey, if you want to try to change your life and do better, come listen. He was always inviting people. Then Jesus turned to the Jews who had claimed to believe him. So there, he was standing around and he's talking to all these people and there's a group of Jewish people who claimed to believe in him. And that was strange because most of the Jews at that point b- believed that he wasn't the Messiah and in fact wanted to kill him. He said, if you stick with this, he points at these people, if you stick with this, living out what I tell you, you are my disciples, for sure. Then you will experience for yourself the truth. And the truth will set you free. And some of you today don't feel free. You just don't. And if the kind of relationship with ha- that you have with God isn't making you feel free, then you've, you've got it wrong. And if the kind of connection with God isn't making you feel free that that your neighbors are imposing on you or that your parents are imposing on you that doesn't make you feel free then they're not they're not sharing the right kind of thing because the the truth of Jesus comes with this sense of freedom and the Jews looked at Jesus and they were just surprised because Jesus used this word free that was a word that you you used to talk about a prisoner and or even a word that you'd use in the court systems to tell you know somebody who was going to end up being in jail the rest of their life they were surprised and and they said jesus we're descendants of abraham we've never been slaves to anyone we are not slaves we are not prisoners we you you've got it wrong how can you say the truth will set you free we're not prisoners and jesus says yes you are you're slaves jesus says i tell you most solemnly which is probably not exactly what he said. Somehow what he said ended up saying, I want you to know from the depths of who I am, from the deepest part of who I am, I want, I want you to know how much I love you. And I want you to know how I feel about you and this thing in your life. Here's what he said. He said, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and is, in fact, a slave. Now, when I, get, when I preach... I get this moment of where I, I know you and I love you and I think about you when I write my sermons. Jesus had this other situation where he, he was God, so he could look into your heart, right? <laughs> and he did this every now and then. It freaked people out. And, and, he, and he met a woman one time that said, you know, I, I don't have a husband. He said, yeah, I know you have four. And she's like, what? What did you say? Like, how, we just met. He used to freak people out like this a little bit. But he could look at somebody and see the deepest sin in their life, see the brokenness in their life, and even see what, what the, the binds of slavery had caused in them. He said a slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. The son, though, capital S, that's him, has an established position, the run of the house, so if the son sets you free, you are free through and through. Not just a little free, not just a free Sunday mornings when you're sitting in the orange pews. Free through and through. I have so many friends, so many Christian friends, and in, even in, in my life, in, in the clo- some of the closest people to me who have been saved by Jesus, who have accepted the grace that comes with Jesus, but have never accepted the truth. 
and have never moved to a new place in their life. So even in the midst of being with Jesus, even in the midst of, of the promises that come with Jesus, they are trapped, they are slaves to sin. In this room right now, statistics show, I'm not looking anybody in the face, but statistics show that 80% of the men in here have a problem with pornography in some way. It's true. And most of you are Christians. A lot of you are Christian people. Those of you who are listening online right now that are Christian people, who, who you, can, you probably could right now tell me exactly the effects that slavery has had on you. Even though you've accepted Jesus. So Jesus could never walk into a situation and just say to somebody, I love you, don't worry about how you're living, just enjoy the grace. Because he loved a person way too much to leave them in that condition. Free, but still have chains on. <laughs> Doesn't make sense to Jesus. So I want to talk about today, the truth. And today I want to talk about the truth when it comes to temptation. We're going to talk about one of these things over the next few weeks here. And, and as we talk about temptation, I, I love this Family Guy cartoon. You know, that's just like just a button that says do not push. And it's just like, oh, I've got to push that button. You don't even know why, but sometimes just doing the wrong thing seems like they're what, what you want to do. I uh, was taking a shower the other day at the house. And, you know, our, our dog, we, we moved from the city to the uh, cabin in the woods. And our dog is still a city dog. And he's still trying to convert and still trying to figure out why in the world we pulled him out of this, this neighborhood and into the woods. And he's had fleas and ticks and all the things that we weren't prepared for him to have that, you know, country dogs figure out, you know. Well, um, we bought some flea and tick shampoo, and we've just been bathing him regularly, which I don't think you're supposed to do to a dog. But we've been doing it, and he just is sad all the time, you know. Um, and I was in the shower the other day, and I reached down, you know, it's early in the morning, and I reached down, and I grabbed a bottle of, of soap. And I thought, well, that's a weird color. And my initial reaction was, it's one of those fruity things that Risha uses, you know, and I don't care. I don't, as long as it cleans me, I don't care what I smell like. So I looked down, and I, I realized, oh, it's the dogs. And I thought, boy, isn't that funny. And then I had this moment of, huh, I'd like to use this. <laughs> but but as, a, as a grown-up man, I resisted the temptation to try out the dog shampoo. Just resisted it. And I set it down in the shower, and I looked at it again, and I thought, well, no, nah, 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 nah. And I resisted the temptation to use the dog shampoo. Got out of the shower, and I was eating my breakfast, and Reese, my son, seven years old, comes bopping out of the shower, and I, I hope this changes at some point in his life, but he doesn't need a towel, he doesn't need any clothes on at all to bop right through the living room while I'm eating breakfast. Right through the living room, uh, drying off his hair, and Risha said, Reese, did you take a shower? Yep, and we asked him all the questions you should ask a seven-year-old after he takes a shower by himself. Did you clean your bottom? Yep. Did you clean your arm? Yep. Did you clean your, all this time? And finally he said, hey, Mom, also, I won't have any teas or, uh, fleas or ticks for the next 30 days. <laughs> I was eating a bowl of cereal, and I went, <laughs> Uh, Risha didn't have that knowledge that, that the flea and tick stuff was right there. So she said, what do you mean? He said, well, I shampooed this morning with the dog shampoo. <laughs> See, as, as a seven-year-old, it was just a temptation that Reese could not pass up, even at that age. Oh, that little dude. Yeah, so we're good for 30 days with Reese. Um, the truth is, uh, temptation is relentless. I don't care how old you are. I don't care where you're living, guys. I don't care 
who's keeping you accountable. I'll tell you one thing right now that, um, that pornography is such a big problem, and I'm not going to harp on this, um, but it's such a huge problem in our churches, in our homes, in our marriages, throughout the, the world, that um, about uh, 10 years ago, this piece of software came out called Triple X Church, and um, I ended up becoming a friend of the guys there. It's a piece of software that runs on your computer and on your laptop and on any device a man can, can go search by himself on. And it sends, every Friday, it sends a list of all the potentially bad places that I've been on the Internet to my wife's email address. So people say to me, hey, John, why aren't you addicted to pornography? And what I'd like to say is, I'm a holy man, don't you know? I'm a man of the cloth, which I still don't know what that means. I'm I'm above it. But you know the reason I'm not addicted to pornography? Because my wife gets a list of all the things that I've been to. It's not a problem. I I have gone ahead of it and said, no, I need that accountability. And because... If you get to a place in your life, no matter how old you are, no matter how far you are along in your life, if you get to a place where you go, you know what, finally I'm over that whole temptation problem, that's about the time where you get hit. Temptation is relentless. And no matter what the temptation is, it's not just about distracting you. The Bible says it's about destroying you. It's about destroying your peace, your hope, your joy, all the things that God has promised. In Matthew, check this out. Matthew, Jesus was baptized, and, and I don't wanna, I'm not going to talk about baptism today much, but Jesus was baptized, and it was this thing that he did to, for a couple reasons. He did it as an, an act of obedience to God, and he did it to show the people around him that this is a great thing for you to do. This is a milestone in your life. This is a moment where when you're baptized, all the old junk goes away, and when you're brought up, you're a brand new person. The first time I told somebody that was being baptized um, who had had a really bad life, um, he said, I'm, I'm afraid you're going to need to change that filter because all the junk that gets in, the <laughs> all the old stuff that I have is going to end up in the filter somewhere in that thing. Um, but that, that Jesus said, this is, this is what you need to do. And so he did in front of all these people. And it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he's, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven opened up and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and, light, and uh, lightning on him, or lighting on him. A voice said from heaven, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Can you imagine being there when all that happened? So that's Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. The very next thing that happens as Jesus has this high experience, this moment of, of emotion and spiritual renewal, the very next thing that happens, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I think you could call me hungry after 40 days and 40 nights. Actually, you give me about three hours. Next slide there, Tanya. The tempter came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, that doesn't sound like too bad a thing, does it? It doesn't sound like too bad a thing to tell the stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It's written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I just want to ask you, you've heard this before. If you're a Christian, if you're a church person, you've heard this before. What is wrong with turning stones to bread? Like, Jesus turned water to wine. Was that not a problem? He turned all kinds of things into other things. He turned a dead man into a walking man. Why was it a problem for him to turn bread, a rock, into bread? I'm not going to answer that right now. Then the devil took him to the holy city. I don't know how he did that. If he, like, sucked him out, and, like, now they're on a big rock. Took him to the holy city and, and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. 
If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it's also written, don't put your Lord, your God, to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of all the world and all their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, he's tried twice. Jesus has resisted. You've got to think that Satan at this point is going, well, I'll just uh, distract him a little bit. And Jesus says, away from me, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. I'm not sure what you believe about this story. Some people believe that, that it, this was something that happened to Jesus that wasn't physical. Some pe- people believe that it was. One way or the other, we know that Jesus was tempted. And we know that you are tempted on a regular basis. This whole idea of, of turning bread, turning a rock into bread, is something that I've looked into a lot because I couldn't understand why is it that if Jesus is hungry, why, why wouldn't God let him turn this rock into bread? And some people say, well, because the fast was so important. Now, he'd been fasting for 40 days. I think he'd proved he could do it. So at this point, it wasn't about that. It was about Jesus knowing when he begins to use his, leverage his power or leverage something in his life for his own purposes only. Then it puts him on a path that will lead him into a deeper, darker place. A few uh, years ago, I preached a sermon series called, um, um, called Guardrails. In fact, Rick I don't know if it was legal or not, but he found me a guardrail from the city, I think, somewhere. And we had it up here. And um, we, we said uh, what we would do is, in our lives, we would, we would set up guardrails that would keep us from going into the deepest part of sin. So we, we, we stop short of actually doing something that's awful in our lives so that we don't go down that slippery slope. And that's what guardrails are. I believe this idea with Jesus was a guardrail. Was it wrong? Was it a sin for him to turn a rock into bread so that he could eat? No. But if he does, then there's this sense of, well, I did what the devil said, and I kind of felt good, and I, I'm the man. I think he knew at that moment. A lot like, men, when it's time to go. I'm picking on you today with this whole pornography thing, but it's killing me when I see this happening to marriages. Men, is there something wrong with going to the Sports Illustrated site and the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue just happens to be on it? I don't know. I'm not even sure there's sin there. I don't know what's going on there, but I can tell you this. It's a slippery slope. It's just that one little thing that leads you to a little more. And the guardrail's set up so that my wife gets my wife gets an email on Friday if I go to the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. And whether it's wrong or not, I've got to answer for why I'm going there. And she knows I'm not buying a bikini. <laughs> so I set up a guardrail in my life. And this is what Jesus was doing. No, I could do that, but I'm not even going that close. You know how many times in my life as a preacher I've heard somebody say, Hey, preacher, is it a sin to fill in the dot? Is it a sin to fill in the blank? It usually happens with sex and when there's a, a man and a woman or a girl and a guy who aren't married yet. And they come to me and they, they just want to get as close as they can to sex without sinning. You know? So, John, what about this? What about if we do this? What about this? And what about if we're almost married? And what about if we're just like, is, is this the game that we play with God? Is this, do we think God lives like this, that God wants to look at us and go, you know what, this is the line, <laughs> and if you cross this, it's sin, but if you just tiptoe on that, you're good to go. And this is why Jesus didn't turn the rock into bread. Not just because it's a slippery slope for him, but because it doesn't honor God even in your brain to move that close. 
So if you're starting to ask the question, is it a sin if, you may have already crossed the line. Because what God's most, important, most concerned with is your heart from the very beginning. So what I'd like to do today is see if we can do what Jesus did here. I think what Jesus had the ability to do, and I don't know that it was divine or physical, but I have seen humans that are fully human and not, they don't have God in them, family members and friends who can do this thing in their life that I'm really trying hard to do. In fact, I even verbalize it around here a lot, and that is that they, it's almost as if they have a remote control for their life and they can put their life on pause for a minute. So when, when things get really crazy in their life and they're just about to do something that's on the edge of what is right, they can put their life on pause without immediately reacting, without immediately doing something. Now, when I, uh, when I was uh, in high school, I was playing golf on the golf team. I was learning to play golf at that point. And I had a, a, a golf instructor that was teaching us all of our uh, uh, us golf. We had a golf coach and then we had a volunteer dad which was a bad idea. He just didn't have enough help. Had this dad that goes out on the weekends. And Matt, you know what guys do on the weekends. They don't play by the rules. You don't want this guy to teach the high school kids that are learning golf the rules of golf. And man, this guy, you definitely didn't. He'd walk up on a team. He would take a ball again, which you can't do when you're playing in high school golf. And he would teach it. Ah, guys, just hit another one. And we'd walk around the corner and we'd see him. He was telling us, you know what you do before you go? You've seen this, Matt. I'm not saying you've done it, but you've seen it. You go, before you, before you go golfing, you take your pocket out and you cut a hole about the size of a golf ball in the pocket of your pants. So when you hit your ball in the, out, into the, um, in, in, out of bounds, you just take a golf ball in your hand, you put it in your pocket, and then you get up next to the edge of the, and you let it go down your pants and out your pant leg real slow, and you go, I found it, got it right here. Yeah. This was one of my golf instructors teaching me the rules about golf. And as we talked about it, we, we, we got back to the group, and I started telling our golf coach, and oh man, his face just started getting so red. Like, I just matter, matter, matter. So he went and talked to this guy. He was just a good guy. And he tried really hard. I mean, he tried really, really hard from that day on not to teach us those things. But the truth is, it's just who he was. He's a good man. He's just a cheater. <laughs> he, and most golfers are. I mean, most guys who play on the weekends, they just hit a couple extras. They take a, oh, I should have made that putt. There's something wrong with the green right there. And you've seen it, Matt. And, and, and it, it, it's, this guy should not have ever been teaching. And what happens is he never stopped. He, even after somebody stopped him and said, all right, dude, you've got to stop teaching these kids to cheat. He, as, as he was playing, he wouldn't pause and think, is this right or is this not right? He just did what felt right to him at the time. Even if it wasn't, it felt right, so he would do it. And, man, I learned a lot of things, but none of them should I have learned about the rules of golf. And the, the truth is, it, we all do this in our life. Even when we teach our kids things. Uh, hey, um, so uh, what do you do with the golf, or what do you do with the uh, shopping cart after you fill your cart full of groceries, Mom? I'll just leave it there and hope the next car doesn't hit it. But isn't there a sign up there that says, please put the carts back in the corral? Yeah, but we don't do that. <laughs> this is what we do. Uh, yeah, uh, you pick up something in the grocery store, and you, 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 you take it, and you, you walk around with it for a while, and you walk all the way to the other side of the grocery store, and then you decide, ah, I don't want that. So you just put it next to, the, you know, you picked up the banana, but now you put it next to the hostess products, you know? And you just leave it, right? And your kids look at it and go, hey, well, didn't that, who has to, well, that's somebody's job, right? Well, it doesn't seem wrong at the time, and maybe it's not a sin, but we begin without thinking to teach this to the next generation of our kids, that this is okay. Then they do it to their kids, and then it just squeaks a little bit further 
down the line. If we just pause just a moment before we do these things to think of the implications, to think of the implications with our own lives. This is what Jesus did. At that moment, he stops. Should I, should I eat this? Should I make this thing turn to bread or should I not? If we could just for a moment put our lives on pause, it would change everything. And when we do, here's what I'd like for you to think about. See, there, there are three temptations that Jesus faced here. One is that he was tempted to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. He was tempted to look at that rock and say, man, I'm hungry. And this is what we do all the time. I'm, I'm really, really hungry. Or I'm poor. I got to pay my bills. And the government, it won't really be checking my my taxes that close. I probably won't get audited. And I got to pay my bills. So you go to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. And it seems little and it seems small at the time. It's just a little rock and a little bread and you're hungry. It's just a 1040 and it's just one more. You know, you can you can claim your dog as a dependent, you know, or whatever. It's just one, it's just $600. What does that matter in the scheme of things? And it's just that little slippery slope that moves. If you could put it on pause and know what's at stake, it might change everything. Jesus was tempted to use God to accomplish his own ends. This happens to us all the time, doesn't it? This happens to us all the time. In fact, it happens to us when we're immature, but when we're really mature in our faith, guys like Andy and Brenda, when I went to pray with them today, there's just this sense of, yeah, I hear, and I prayed today, so they didn't say this, but I hear mature Christians say this all the time. In the midst of their own pain, in the midst of their own stuff, when I would say, hey, fix me, God, they're going, hey, would you um, allow me to make impact on a nurse during this? Allow me to share the love of Jesus with a nurse in such a way that it leads them like, hey, there's something wrong with your innards. <laughs> Why don't you ask God to fix that? Yeah, 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 he'll do what he, but what I really want is that, oh, it's a whole other perspective on life. Jesus never messed that up. Jesus was tempted to take a shortcut to do the right thing in the wrong way. Happens to us all the time. So when, when you pause, the truth is there are three things that I'd like for you to remember. And it all has to do with what's at stake, because we do this all the time. When, when we, whether it's a, a man getting ready to look at pornography, whether it's a woman getting ready to tell that juicy piece of gossip that probably isn't true, but it really doesn't matter because it's so much fun, whether it's a, a man telling the gossip or a woman checking the porn, that doesn't happen as often, but it happens. Whether it's uh, somebody getting ready to go out on a Friday night again, doing that one same thing again, what we always do to ourselves this is what happens every time, is we reduce the stakes. Well, how? it's not hurting anybody. And just one more time. And just this one thing, just, just a little bit, and, just a, and we reduce the stakes. But what's true, if we can put it on pause for a moment, put our life on pause, and realize that there's more at stake than it seems. For, for one, your future. I, I can't tell you how many friends I have right now in ministry who have ruined it all. Over one lunch with a woman that's not their wife. That's the way it started. Seemed innocent, just a little thing. Over one lie that just began to snowball. Over one little, took a little more money than I should have in this way or the other. But the truth is, if you're sitting in a seat today or listening online and, and you haven't put your life on pause for a while, You've already done something that's going to impact your future in negative ways. 
Because the natural thing for us to do is just to make choices that feel good. It's just to make choices that seem right at the time or that seem right because my dad used to do it this way or my golf guy told me I could cheat and it was okay because everybody does. And if you're not putting your life on pause and realizing what's at stake, you're missing out on something that can really impact your future. The other thing that's at stake is the people you love all over your life. I got a friend who I, I just sat with at a Mexican restaurant recently, um, and uh, we started talking about um, his, some of his sin in his life. And um, man, just the nicest, most clean-cut guy. You just never expect some of the things that are in his life that, that came out. And I was, you know, I'm supposed to be the preacher guy that has heard it all and seen it all, and I'm there trying not to have my eyes get bigger and bigger as he tells me these stories. And I, so I, I'm thinking the whole time, how can we get him out of this? And finally he said, and I'm free. <laughs> Of all of that. I'm still dealing with temptation, but I'm not a slave to that anymore. And I said, well, I'm preaching the sermon series on this. And I know I have people in my audience this Sunday who are slaves to this. They, they cannot get out of it. They feel guilty, which doesn't come from God. And they just have this cycle of slavery in their life. I know I have it. So tell me, how did you get away from this? And he said, I'll tell you how it happened for me. I had kids. I had kids. And I said, well, well, that's great, but your kids are a little older now. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's not when I had kids. It's when they started doing things that impacted my heart, that broke my heart. And I began to look at them and say, your kids someday are going to have to live with some of the consequences of your sin. That thing you did to your mom that was so bad and so hurtful, you thought it was just between you and her, but it meant that every weekend from here until you're 18, you have to change houses. It meant from, from here until every single Christmas, every single New Year, everything has changed because of a mistake that you thought was between just you and another woman. And he said, when I had kids, I realized that the, the choices I make on a daily basis, the little choices I make, have so far-reaching impact on the people I love. There is more at stake than it seems. And then possibly the most damaging thing that happens when you give in to temptation, when you hide sin, when you live in this thing and it begins to become a slave over you, is that it destroys your faith. It starts to make you think that God's not in charge anymore. And it starts to degrade your relationship with him. I love this piece of scripture in 1 Peter. You maybe never heard this before. It says this, Be alert and of sober mind. I promise I didn't read that just because we had homecoming this weekend. <clears throat> Be alert and of sober mind. The word sober there is a really interesting word in the original language. It, it doesn't really mean, like, don't drink any alcohol and get drunk in this place. What that word means is be pure in mind. It's be thinking. You know, in, in, in my terms, what it means? Pause your mind. Get a moment where you can get perspective on all the implications for what you're about to do. Be alert. Pause. Be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, if Peter in his life had, had just... Um, had just had some little run-ins with sin, he probably would have said something like, be careful, the devil's a bad guy. But you can tell, Peter's had some serious run-ins with sin. 
Because he knows that sin isn't about distracting you. That temptation isn't just about distracting you from what God wants for your life, but that it wants to devour you. And it won't stop. So today, I, I, I want you to hear these three sentences. And if you, haven't, if you haven't heard anything else I've said, sometimes my sermons click and sometimes they don't. And that's, I just get it out there. You do with it what you need to. But these, these three sentences I'm hoping click with everybody in the room today. Whatever you've got going on in your life, whether it's apathy, depression, frustration, whether it's this hidden sin that you just can't seem to talk about or get rid of, whatever it is, here are the three things that I'd like for you to say to it and to the temptation in your life today. And the first one is this, you will not steal my future. See, when you say that, when you say it in your brain, or even if it's bad enough in your life, say it out loud. So I was, uh, sometimes I think I'm maybe too honest up here. <laughs> it makes people uncomfortable. But uh, I think it helps. I, I was driving down um, Kirkwood in Bloomington. I live in Bloomington. I was driving down Kirkwood this week, and the IU students are back. And it's hot outside. And the girls are all running. And I'm a human man, and I don't have, I am a completely happy married man. And I wouldn't consider myself having a problem with sex. But I know that if I'm going to drive down Kirkwood by myself this time of year, I need to be sober. I need my mind to be in a place where I am thinking about the decisions I'm making. So I knew I was preaching this sermon. I don't do this every week, I promise. I knew I was preaching this sermon. I was thinking about this. I pulled up on Kirkwood Avenue, and I saw people running all up and down the street, and I said, you will not steal my future. You will not steal. I, well, John, it's just, nobody even knows. But see, the thing is, it's a guardrail. If I start looking, then it's really short step to the website. And then it's a really short step to the wrong website, to another website that leads me to some human somewhere else that I actually make contact with. I'm destroying my future, my kid's future. In that moment, I have to say to myself, and I, I kind of did it as a test for this sermon, does this work? And I was trying to remember the next one. You will not steal my family and my seven-year-old son and my ten-year-old daughter entered my brain. Guess where my eyes didn't want to look? I think about my ten-year-old daughter and my seven-year-old son and I don't, I don't need that. And the thought of losing them over something so short, something so temporary, something that I know doesn't really satisfy anyway is sickening to me in that moment. And it's not because I'm a good Christian. It's not because I'm your preacher. It's not because I'm good. It's because I paused long enough and got perspective on what was really at stake. And if I can put my kids at stake in that moment, there is no girl in wearing anything that is worth it. There is no website. There is no feeling. There is no high. If I can get perspective in that moment, You will not steal my faith. What if you did this? What if you didn't listen to anything else I said? Maybe you just completely tuned out until this moment. It's okay. But the next time you feel as though you're going there again, the next time you move in that direction to that slavery, that thing that you know is killing your family, your faith, your future, stop and Either out loud, if you don't look like a crazy sitting there at McDonald's, in your car, 
or in your head say those three things, you will not steal my future. You will not steal my family and you will not steal my faith. Part of the reason this place, band, you guys can come up. I gotta quit. Part of the reason this place is so full of grace is because many of us have had our future stolen, our families broken, and our faith degraded. And then God, being unimaginably full of grace, has restored us. And you need to know today, if you feel as though your future has already been stolen, your family has already been impacted, and your faith has already been hurt, you can come back today. You can start over. You can start fresh. If you're in the category of people who haven't been caught yet, this is the way we think about sin in our culture now. Haven't been caught yet. What Jesus knows is being caught isn't the worst thing that happens. It's what it does to your soul. It's what it does to your life. It's what it does to the depths of who you are. So today, the truth is, there's more at stake than you realize with this temptation. Could you right now stop ignoring the things in your life that you know are wrong? I have a friend, we did a sermon series a couple years ago called I Quit. And it was about the addictions that we have and about trying to quit on all these things. And I have a friend who, who um, I, I ended up um, doing a funeral for that year. and She died of lung cancer. And she, the last sermon series was that sermon series that she had heard. And when I went to pray with her the last time, she said, I just feel like a failure. I've been trying to quit smoking for 60 years. And I said that what God wants most from you is the try. It's the effort. When you quit, when you start ignoring it, when you just start accepting it as something that you do and that's just who I am, I'm not talking about just smoking, you know that. When, you, when you're doing something you know is causing you to be far from God and you've just accepted it, it tears away at your soul just a little bit every day. Stop ignoring those things and choose to pause in those moments. You will not steal my future. You will not steal my family. And you will not steal my faith. I want to pray for you today. I'm going to be back there in that room or back there in that corner. If you want to pray with me, I'd be glad to. But this is between you and God. In fact, the deepest, darkest thing you got going on in your brain right now is between you and God. And today's the day to step up, to put your life on pause, to realize what's at stake, and to add the 100% truth to the 100% grace. If you can stand with